This is a special conversation for me. I first heard of Dr. Chris Emden when his best-selling book, For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood, and the rest of y'all too, caught everyone's attention. Certainly in the field of education, most definitely if you're in the field of education and doing work in an urban setting. His talk at 2018 South by Southwest EDU titled, We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service, with credit to its namesake, an album by A Tribe Called Quest, is probably the one education resource that I've recommended the most to friends and colleagues in the last year. So when leaders from New York City Department of Education's Computer Science for All asked whether I'd be interested in a conversation with Dr. Emden about culturally responsive education and STEM, I jumped at the chance. It was a gift. What I didn't realize was that I'd have the opportunity to interview Dr. Emden alongside Dr. Edmund Adjapong, a rising star as an academic now at Seton Hall University, a key organizer in the hip-hop ed community, and one-time student of Dr. Emden's when he taught high school science. There was so much intellect and excitement and respect between these two scholars that I think you'll find it contagious. We're talking about tech and computer science in the context of youth's identity. More specifically, we're talking about youth of color and culturally responsive approaches to building STEM pathways. But more broadly, much of what's being discussed can and should be applied to just about any learning experience or path. With that, I want to say thanks in advance to Renee Williams and Christy Crawford, two education professionals on a mission to improve the experience and capacity for educators working to improve these pathways. They've been critical collaborators for me, not just producing this and future episodes, I hope, but for their commitment in finding ways to lift this conversation up into our consciousness with care and compassion for learners, all of us. I can't wait for you to get into this. Enjoy. What's going on, everybody? My name is Dr. Edmund Ajapong. I'm a professor at Seton Hall University and a faculty fellow at the Institute for Urban and Minority Education at Teachers College. And I'm really passionate about engaging young people um, through innovative pedagogies and liberating young people in educational spaces. Hey everyone, this is Chris Emden. I am a faculty member in the Department of Mathematics, Science and Technology at Teachers College, Columbia University, where I serve as the Program Director of Science Education. And I'm also the Associate Director of the Institute for Urban and Minority Education at Teachers College at Columbia University, uh, co-founder of Hip Hop Ed. And right now I am thinking about um, the intersections of youth culture, social justice, and STEM education. And my work has always revolved around how do we make sense of those intersections? How do we utilize those fields of study to reimagine schooling? This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Guys, thank you for joining. I can't even tell you how excited I am to have you both uh, as part of this conversation. Um, obviously, you both have ha have been part of this conversation more broadly for a very long time. So I'm, I'm just uh, grateful that uh, our paths are, are crossing in this, in this moment. Um, I never start with a plug, but I will. Uh, uh, Dr. Emden, I'm, I'm going to call you Chris because it seems like you would prefer that. Yeah, yeah, Is that all right? Yeah. Um, I would say if somebody were to ask me, what's the most, what's the resource you have referred people to the most in the last year, year and a half of your work, it would be the recording of your keynote at last year's South by Southwest. Oh, um, and I will, I'm, I'm plugging it here. I'm also going to put it in the show notes because I think anybody who listens to this episode should also be checking that out. Um, because there, there's just so much, um, so much important about that conversation, uh, at that conference. And I love both. I love so much about it, but, uh, the, the framing of that talk and, uh, and the points you're making one, but, uh, in, in the context with which you bring it, I think, um, and, and the flavor with which you bring it is, is an important thing. Um, and it's just, it was such a, uh, such a, a, a welcome, beautiful change of pace for South by Southwest. I thought, oh, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. yeah, so, so. 
the place that I want to start, you guys are are um, both working in a space. Uh, the the three of us really have been working at from different angles in a space um, that looks closely at how, where young people engage in pathways and think about uh, their own identities. And and there are so many ways to call it, but but um, on this show, I've talked a lot about the work to broaden participation in STEM. And we're talking in this conversation about, I think, what is kind of a beautiful entry point to uh, to a much broader conversation that we could take in a lot of different directions. But where I wanted to kind of start is uh, how you guys know each other. Edmund, have you just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, you're, you bumping into uh, Dr. Emden when you did uh, and what impact that had on you and, and your, your course forward. Yeah, man. So I first met Chris, uh, I was in ninth grade in high school. Um, so like I always talk about, like, so I think my experiences in education are really, that's what brought me into teacher education and at horrible experiences in middle school. I went to this middle school for gifted and talented, um, people, young people in the Bronx. And it just wasn't a school for me personally. I just felt I wasn't being taught to, um, I was being taught at. And um, just had horrible experiences in schools, especially around science. And I was always like intrigued around science, but I never had fun or was never engaged in my science classes. So Chris is my first science teacher in high school. Um, and I remember entering the classroom and like, you know, he had a kind of a hip hop aesthetic, hip hop aura, playing hip hop music. And at first I was like, what's going on? This is not, this is not right. This don't feel right. Um, and it took, took some time just from, even for me to warm up to it. Right. And, to, and, to, and we started building a relationship with each other. And just knowing that hip hop was what really connected us. Um, and just like Chris being a, a black male from the Bronx, like coming from the same experiences and, and communities that I come from, um, were also super powerful for me because I haven't, I've had an, I've had an, haven't experienced that before. Um, I've had other black male educators prior to that, but none resonated with me in the level that Chris did. Um, so like just being inspirational in the sense that, you know, you can do it, just motivational, um, is what really kind of like just switched something on and I guess in my mind. Um, that was like, you know, I can be a scientist and why not? And I just pursued science um, throughout high school and throughout college and graduated a degree in biochemistry with honors um, in undergrad. And then that's kind of when I realized, you know, I kind of want to go into teaching myself to try to provide the same experiences for young people in my community. Yeah. Can we can we come back to that tension? Right. Um, because I think I think one of the common uh misunderstandings from educators is like, oh, I'm going to throw on some hip hop music. And this is, there won't be tension there because this is, um, this is the culture of my youth. I'm teaching in the, uh, wherever I am in the, whether I'm in the Bronx or I'm in any other place, but, but you, there was tension there, right? It was, it was not the, the sort of, um, the learning culture that you had been brought up in. So, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, what was the tension and why was this such a strange experience that you're walking into a classroom with uh, a, a teacher of color who's playing hip hop music and, and this struck you as being out of place or, or uh, you know, just not right for a learning institution? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's a great question. Um, the, tension, the tension was there because my entire life up to, up to high school, I was not allowed to be my hip hop self in schools, right? So I've, I've gone through my whole life. I remember I, I, I did a talk the other day and I was talking about, you know, I was playing the, um, the clips grinding beat on the table in the sixth grade, right? Sure. And it was, it's the perfect beat to play on the, on the table with the rattling of the cafeteria table and everything. But, you know, I would always get in trouble for it. Me and my friends and my peers would always get in trouble. We're never allowed to be hip hop. We're never allowed to, um, to have any hip hop aesthetics in terms of like our, our, how we dressed. Um, we, we weren't allowed to like rap lyrics in school, right? So going through my entire being schooled for over eight years, over eight years, um, without being allowing to allow myself to bring my authentic self hip hop self into the classroom and seeing a teacher in ninth grade, like playing hip hop, there was a lot of tension there. Right. Cause my whole entire life I was told I cannot be this in school. And I walk into a new school, the new context and there is hip hop in the school. So it was very weird for me at that point. Right. But then I think another tension is like, how authentic is this? Right. And I think that's what our young people are. are, are and when we when teachers are engaged in hip hop work right now, you know, we always encourage teachers to engage in hip hop work. But it's also it has to be it has to come from an authentic space. 
Athletes always have to position themselves as learners and outsiders of the culture, right? Because they don't know it all. We don't know it all, even myself, right? So I think the the way the tension kind of eased with, with my relationship with Chris was that Chris always provided a space for, for the student voice in the classroom. And he always allowed us to bring our hip hop selves into the classroom and create a space for that, right? So like, I always talk about the, the, the multiple generations around hip hop, right? And how Chris is, comes from a different era than I come from. And I come from a different era than the, the, the young people that I taught. But Chris always allowed us and privileged like the kind of the, the aesthetics and the music um, that we, the young people in his class brought in. And that's kind of what relieved that tension, right? Because it's not just about like, oh, Chris is going to, he's going to play his music and what he cared about and what he appreciated around hip hop. But he also listened to what we appreciated around hip hop. That's how we yeah. kind of just grew together. Um... For for one of the things I try to do is for the for listeners is is unpack as much as we can some of the terminology that a lot of times comes up and people think uh, they they sort of know what it means but but you said a couple of times my hip hop self right and I think yeah, that yeah. Um, one of the misunderstandings about hip hop is that it's it's um, it, that it equals mu- you know music hip hop music which is certainly a, a one what's the word kind of characterization of the way hip hop plays out but but can you just say a, a tiny bit about what you mean when you say my hip hop self yeah that's a great question um when when we talk about young people um especially young black and brown people who come from anywhere right but particularly i think inner cities as well like for in the bronx in particular right i think i always go <laughs> new york city is the best thing in the world right but in the Bronx in particular, where hip hop kind of was started, we, there's always a hip hop sense of self, right? And a hip hop sense of self may be just how I greet my peers, right? And my hip hop identity, how I greet my peers, how I'm talking, how I'm, express, how I'm expressing myself, use the use of my hands while I'm talking, um, my aesthetic, you know, what I'm wearing, my sneakers, my clothing, the way I wear my hat to the side or what have you. Um, there are many things that, 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 aligned with my hip-hop identity but then i think it's also important to recognize that young people have multiple identities right so just because you're black or you're brown or you're latino whatever doesn't mean that you know you're all the same person we could categorize categorize you as all the same um and everybody has different relationships with hip-hop and everybody has kind of different relationship with the culture right young men young women all may have different connections to the culture so it's important for teachers to kind of elicit what those connections are around hip hop culture. You just can't say, I'm gonna bring hip hop to my classroom and expect everybody to connect it, connect with it the same way, right? Because we all have different relationships. We all come to hip hop. We all come to different cultures and identities through different avenues. So it's important for teachers to, to kind of elicit that when they're working with students, especially around hip hop and education. So, so Chris, that was, a, that was a gamble, right? That, that you made um, whatever, whatever day it was. I don't know where in your, in your, semester right you walked in and and chris is playing hip-hop but like that was a gamble right because you don't know that every kid walking into that room has a hip-hop self do you no you don't so and and here's the interesting thing you don't know if all the kids have a hip-hop self but you know that all the kids have an authentic self Mm -hmm. that may not necessarily have the opportunity to be made visible in the classroom and so for me the use of hip-hop was not necessarily about hip-hop per se it was about presenting a piece of me that was beyond what the narrative was or the descriptors of a physics teacher was, right? So the, the prototypical physics teacher was supposed to be boring, was supposed to be white, was supposed to be male, was supposed to be uh, speak in a monotone way. There are, these, there are these things. Now, my natural presenting self, you know, I'm not white. So, you know, that might help. Um, but, you know, I, I speak with a lot of verve. That's a gamble to speak with Verve. Um, I use a lot of metaphors and analogy. That's a gamble. So it was a decision to take a gamble to be myself more than it was to take a, a gamble to be hip hop. Now, once I presented my authentic self, hip hop ended up being a prominent piece of that identity. And so for me, you know, when I presented my authentic self, there were young folks whose piece of their identities may not have been hip hop per se, but they could bring their authentic selves to my presentation of my hip hop self. Now, I happened to be in the Bronx in New York City, so hip-hop served as a unifying connector, but it wasn't the only thing that connected to young folks. Some folks just connected to my humanity. Some folks just connected to my story. And hip-hop became the mechanism through which I could present a full spectrum of my identities that allowed the young folks to say, wait, 
if he can model authenticity, I can present that as well. Then that became the seedbed for learning. So my argument is always utilize whatever tool you have to allow your authentic self to be present. Once you do that, that gamble will pay off because you've modeled for young folks what it looks like to be authentic in the classroom. Then authenticity and authenticity have shared currency. And that shared currency builds social capital. It builds cultural capital. It builds intellectual capital. It builds scientific capital. But the seedbed is authenticity. So if I'm not authentically hip hop, then you may be authentically country. Don't, don't start my physics class with hip hop. No, don't. I, I would see if, if you're not authentically hip hop, you can use hip hop, but don't construct a false hip hop identity and don't pander to young folks who you believe are hip hop, right? You know, Edmund, whenever he speaks, says genius things, right? One of the things that he said was, you know, Edmund is a different hip hop generation than I am, right? I, I was more Tribe Called Quest and, and, and De La Soul. And he was more Cameron and Dipset, right? And let's be clear, I could have brought a, you know, a, a, a Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, hip hop to the classroom. And that could have alienated a person who was hip hop that was more Cameron and Dipset. So again, it wasn't about the hip hop per se. It was about, this is my music. This makes me feel free. This makes me feel excited. You know, you know, I, I, like I, I want educators to remember that it is it is just as much about you being your own culturally relevant self as it is being culturally relevant to students. It's 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 just as valuable to understand who you are and bring your authentic self than it is to construct a pedagogy that reflects what you think is where the kids are. Um, it, it, authenticity speaks more volumes than a flawed. Uh, cultural relevance. I'm going to make you make you dig dig back. Do you remember what song it was he was playing when you first when you first heard him play hip hop in that classroom? Man, I couldn't tell no. you. What what were your fa- Chris, what were your favorite uh like wh- what's a tune that you would play that was authentically you that that maybe like kids gave you the the side eye about? You know what worked best for Edmund though, although I played a little bit of everything? Um, you know, we are both huge Jay-Z fans and Jay-Z has this amazing ability to have sort of iconic status across multiple hip hop generations. So, you know, the Jay-Z, Jay-Z became a unifying force, but I would play weird because I have a a very eccentric, um, almost esoteric, uh, you know, sensibility generally, but certainly a hip hop sensibility. Right. Mm. So, you know, I like Black Alicious, Chemical Calisthenics. I love that song. The kids hated that song. <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, I, I love like most deaf mathematics and they were like, what is he talking about? Yeah. So, you know, my, my hip hop was not necessarily their hip hop. And so I would play some hip hop and get side eyes. I would get the same kind of side eye that I probably would get if I played like, you know, like achy breaky heart or something. Like, you know, <laughs> even though it was hip hop, it was the same kind of response. Um, you know, but, but I also, you know, even though I was bringing this sort of like different generational lens, I always was um, deliberate about ensuring that I created space for, you know, what they liked, right? So, you know, there was, there was always space for reggaeton, which was not necessarily what I listened to, but I, but I gained an appreciation for. Um, there was always space for Dipset. Well, at the time, I just wasn't the, you know, I just didn't like Joel Santana. I'm, no, no disrespect to Joel's, right? He just wasn't my favorite. But the kids loved this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I would use the hook to his song as a motivator. Like I remember he had the song that goes, Mike check one, two, what is this? Santana's back to business, eight, right? And so, you know, with my black delicious and most deaf sensibilities, I would have, you know, Mike check, Dr. E, who is this? You know, getting back to physics, it's business, eight, right? So it wasn't my thing. And it wasn't me trying to be like it, but it was me drawing the pedagogical value from it and utilizing that as an anchor for a bridge. You know, a, a recognition that a bridge is necessary. Right. I couldn't, you know, no educator should walk into a classroom believing that they know how to connect with young people, even if you're both black, even if you're both brown, even if you're both from the hood. The reality is that, you know, your youth or lack thereof, (laughs) right, is a barrier. But it's the recognition that 
the role of the educator is to model authenticity and build as many bridges as possible. And those bridges require you inquiring, right? It requires that you inquire about what the tools are for building the bridge. Then you construct the bridge with the young person. Yeah, I think I think that um, I love everything you just said. I, the uh, and a, a sidebar for our for our parking lot for future conversations is how, right. you you mentioned achy breaky heart. How is Billy Ray Cyrus back on the radio? Like how? So that's why I brought up Aki Breaking Heart, right? So the reason why Billy Ray Cyrus is in my consciousness is because yeah. of Lil Nas X thing. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. But, you know, again, this, you know, the, the, the reemergence of Billy Ray Cyrus is a testament to the cross-generational um, sensibility yeah. of hip-hop, right? Um, and a cross-genre sensibility of hip-hop, right? You know, there's a way where Lil Nas X can say, I don't know, country, some Billy Ray. Billy Ray jumps on that joint and it hits. And it's now a hit in country and in hip hop. It's this, it's this, it, hip hop is this unifying, mm-hmm. this merging, this, this, this catalyst for sort of cultural conjunction that is at the anchor of um, cultural relevance in a new millennium. And, you know, the, the sooner educators recognize that, the better served we are. You know, hip hop is not the answer but it's a key that can unlock the possibilities of connection. And once we recognize that, we're better served. So I think that's actually a, a kind of a cool segue to the another point in this intersection that we're going to talk about today, right? We're going to talk about STEM and, and computer science and, and where we are with that. I think that um, the way that you characterize hip-hop reminds me a little bit of the internet in a way, right? Where uh, the internet is, is not a thing that's, that's sort of static and sits in the past, but, but a thing that sort of represents a, a mashup culturally of, of kind of where we are and it, and it can have the power to foreground our values and foreground um, what the dialogue is and, and a whole, so many layers of um, of culture within it, right? And so, so I wonder for you guys how you feel like um, when we talk about STEM education, we talk about digital learning. Uh, you know, I think especially over the last couple of decades, um, educators tend to think of digital learning in this also in this kind of separate bucket. Right. And it's like, oh, we, we learn technology over here in technology class. Um, and to me, technology should be a little bit more like hip hop in the sense that, um, it's not, uh, it's not a separate class. It, it's a part of everything that, uh, Mm -hmm. we do. It's how I walk. It's how I dress. It's how I, right. So, um, it's as much a part of digital learning to me is as much a part of physics class as it should be, um, you know, coding or anything else that you're doing in school. So um, that's all an observation. My question for you guys is, is um, what do you think our digital lives has um, either um, afforded us? in terms of moving pedagogy forward? Um, or do you feel like it, it sort of, it, it, there in other ways, there are a lot of people who feels like it, it holds us back and uh, that it should be sort of kept over in this separate category. Do you have thoughts on that? When we, think, when we talk about technology, especially as it relates to education, I don't think we've even like scratched the surface of like the possibilities, right? So like you're talking about how technology should be integrated um, within like just all the courses within the just education within, in general. But now the way we see it is like you have technology class, you go into that class, you learn coding, you learn how to use computers, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I think, you know, when you think about education and the world of education, the systems of education, they're just so traditional, right? They're so Eurocentric and it's like, this is how we've done things for hundreds of years and this is how we're going to continue to do things. And I think that's, that's, that's the problem. When we think, when we look at technology, it's so innovative and it's a, it's a tool. Right. So our kids can they can utilize social media to like to to bully, right, to praise, to support. Right. There's so many different things that you can utilize like, so, just social media with. Right. But we never see teachers or using bringing that into their classrooms. Right. 
to, to, to model to young people that we can utilize technology and, and these tools of social media, you know, to learn, right? To inspire, to engage, right? So for me, like I, at Seton Hall, in all of my classes, my kids have to have a Twitter account, right? And as I'm lecturing, right, my students are always, they're, they're always, they, they need to tweet, like there's thoughts, whatever thoughts they have. And that allows me as an educator to go back after class and look at what, what was going on in my students' minds as we're having these challenging conversations. So that's a, that's a way of assessing my students, right? But we, when we're thinking about technology, how we're using K, K, K through 12, higher ed, general, like no, I don't see many people integrating technology into classes. Like what, what can, how can students utilize technology for the betterment of their community, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, oh, this is just how, this is what you do. So when students only see technology for X, Y, and Z for the, these like very, um, kind of focused outside of like their realities and their experiences, they're not going to be able to make the connections. They're not, they're not encouraged or, or supported to make those connections. So how are, how can we utilize technology really for the betterment of our society and our community? Man, I, that was, that's as always so geniusly said, man. And, you know, my take has always been you, technology is a tool, but it's also, it's also like a, it's also a unifying force mm. and it's, it's, it's challenging to be able to identify the purpose of something when it, when, it, when we are only utilizing one strand of it. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, yo, even it's a tool, it's a unifying force. It's a method of, of identity construction. Mm-hmm. It is a platform for agency. Yep. You know, it is a skill set that needs to be developed. It's a content area. And I think that we've not yet grappled with the fact that it is a, it's a multimodal, ever-evolving, super dynamic phenomenon that encompasses all things at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people are uncomfortable with talking about, people are still uncomfortable talking about science and math at the same time. Like, (laughs) no, seriously, there are people who are still like, STEM, what is this STEM? I'm a bio teacher. You know, so if people are uncomfortable with the construct of STEM, how the heck are they going to be able to wrap their minds around a phenomenon that is all things at once? And I think that the, the conversation, the, the point you made about the sort of archaic ways that education plays out is why, you know, an ideal of CS for all, for all young people is challenging because we've not convinced all the educators that they need to have CS for themselves. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a dual, it's a dual dynamic in sense of like, you know, I want... I want, you know, I want us to talk about computer science for all citizens. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I like to talk about CS for all students, but CS for all citizens. And I think that CS for all citizens does not come unless you allow people to step out of the silos that, they, that we've allowed them to be comfortable mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. We need to talk to educators like, bam, you can't teach in 2019 without having a digital yep. self. Right. And that's a requirement. Yep. I mean, if the world is moving this way, we got to have conversations with educators about this. Like, where's... Um, where's your digital footprint as yeah, an educator? Yeah. How are you teaching young folks about their digital footprint? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know what was so lit and that I that I that we oftentimes forget. Man, I remember the MySpace days. Do you remember the MySpace yeah, yeah, days? Yeah. Yo, the whole hood was coding. Mm-hmm. Literally, it, we, I mean, when MySpace first dropped, you can go on there. You had your little profile. Tom was your only friend, and you know, and then you started talking to people. And then there was this like there was this sort of deluge. Yeah. It, just, it was just one moment where people were like, wait. This is customizable. Right. Yep. And I can use my MySpace page to reflect the complexities of my identity mm-hmm. so that I'm not just static. Yep. And so people started going in the back of the MySpace framework and they started coding to, to put music in their page, to have colors on their page, to mm-hmm. have stars and avatars mm-hmm. on their page. And what happened was young people who had not been privy to the complexities of computer science were engaging in much more computer science than they're doing today by virtue of having a platform to represent their identity. Yep. <clears throat> if that is the case and you want CS for all, what you want to be able to do is create a, a pedagogical space where identity construction and engaging in a digital form are happening concurrently. You, you know, you, 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 you are, it, it goes back to our initial conversation about authenticity. If you want to create the best schools, create schools where folks can be free, then create moments where they have to be able to accumulate content knowledge to be able to fully express who they authentically are. And I think that's where this idea of computer science is right now, is our inability to understand the complexities of, the, of identity construction and development as a tool to help young folks want 
to engage in computer science and technology to become fully actualized. Yeah. And, you know, when we, I know I said a mouthful there, but, well, you know, if, if, you get, if you ever tease that back, you just start realizing that we're, we're actually moving in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't impose computer science and expect folks to want to engage in digital literacy. Um, you create context for self-expression and freedom, and then you provide them with tools that can help them to be able to facilitate that process. And technology just happens to be one of those tools, just like science could be one of those tools mm-hmm. and art could be one of those tools. And once young folks realize that, oh, this is just another thing that can help me be a better me or make the world see more of me um, or help me to create a better world, then they're curious and they're excited. And, you know, you got curiosity and excitement. You could teach anybody anything. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Listen, I've been able to, I was able to teach young folks in the hood. And it's not like a, you know, Chris is dope thing, but, but I've been able, I was able to teach young folks who were disengaged in anything related to anything mm-hmm. academic. Mm-hmm to want to stay up all night long and find out, you know, what exactly is centrifugal force? You know, like, you know, I'm getting like, they show up to my classroom in the morning, Dr. E, I really didn't understand, you know, how the formula for kinematics makes sense, you know. And I'm like, wait, you don't like school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 but it wasn't because I was special as an educator. It was because I created the conditions to allow them to feel as though the accumulation of this knowledge helps them to be a better them. Mm-hmm. Once that happens, you can teach anybody anything. Edmund, I'm curious. I'm curious to ask you, um, what for you? What is what does a phrase like CS for all mean in its ideal? So not necessarily what we've accomplished so far, but but what should it look like? Man, I, you know, I, I think I agree with Chris when we talk about like CS for all, but CS for all citizens, right? Like I'm in, in my work right now. I'm, I'm really grappling with. I think I, I've done a lot of work around young people in schools. And now I'm, real, I'm recognizing that young people and teachers, but now I'm recognizing how important the community is, right? And how separated and siloed teachers have been, administrators have been, students have been, and the community, right? And you think about CS for All, how can we invite community members who kind of been pushed to the margins as it relates to education to participate as well, right? Because we can do this work, but once we have the community involved, there's, there's, there's more investment, right? Mm-hmm. So the kids are engaging this work in schools and they're going home, the community's engaging in it as well, right? And I think that also will help kind of break the barriers that, that we see within schools and within communities. I always, always talk about like, you know, why teachers always, and administrators always wonder like why teachers, parents are not coming into schools, right? Like mm-hmm. parents had horrible times in those schools as well. I wouldn't go back either, right? I was telling a story about the first time I went back to my middle school. I, I did a talk there like two years ago. And like, it was really hard going back in there, like just mentally and physically, right? Because I had so many traumatic experiences in that, in that school building, in that space, right? So if you're a young person who's growing up in the same community, you're growing in the same community that your parents grew up, you're probably going to the same schools or similar schools. Mm-hmm. But we have to think about that. So how do we break that divide, mm-hmm. right? And if we're also talking about how generational technology is, right? Because we have, there, there, it is generational, right? Because the way I engage in technology in college is very different than the people in college are engaging in it right now, right? So how do we kind of bridge those divides and, and, and how do we censor the people, right? Like, so what's the point of us engaging technology, right? There has to be a greater purpose than just me just learning these skills and then going off into the field, right? That's it right there. Because who wants to, like, nobody, our kids don't understand. To they, what they, end? To what end? Right. I, that's it. That, that's that, it. Like, that's, that's, that, that. I mean to cut you off, bro, yeah. but I think that's it. That's it. To, to, what, to what end? For self-empowerment, mm-hmm. for identity construction, right. for being an authentic person, or because it's another thing for me to learn. Right. Like, and you know what this reminds me of? Nipsey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I might talk about this at the CS4 event, um, mm-hmm. but it's like, yo, you look at Nipsey Hussle, right? Um, rest in peace, Nip- Nipsey Hussle. Man, what a, what, a, what a powerful exemplar for what computer science for all could look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It has to look like entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I'm generating some income. Yep. It has to look like creating product. So I'm so I'm making music and I'm putting it out there into the world. It has to look like, you know, developing apps that reflect how dynamic the world is. Like Nipsey had this joint where he, he worked with some folks to design an app so that so anybody wanted to drive people to his store. Yeah. So the app certain pieces of the app only got activated when you purchased mm-hmm. a Nipsey Hustle t-shirt. I mean, that kind of like create creativity, entrepreneurship, ownership, um, and the stores in the middle of the hood. So it's, it's, it's a benefit the hood. So the and I, and, and yep. that, that community oriented yep. end 
um, as an exemplar of what this can look like, I think it's so powerful, man. I, I, you know, we're doing a thing now called the you know Nipsey Hustle Nipsey Hustle curriculum, just to identify the power of this 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 young man's life and how if we draw exemplars from his life, it, it could help us to inform teaching. But one thing that he did really well is he always had a vision for what the conclusion was. Yeah. And education right now, we don't have a vision for what the goals are. Mm-hmm. Like we have a vision for what we want to get done with the kids right now, yeah. um, or just like a media benchmark. But there's no sort of like you know providing a vision for what it could look like. Yeah. Um, you know. Not just the, just like the means, the means to what end yeah. and not some delayed gratification end either, right? right? right, right. How does it benefit in situ? Yeah. Um, I think what Chris said around like all the highlighted all the things of Nipsey Hussle, I think our kids do that inherently, right? So how can we highlight and demonstrate like, yo, you can utilize these tools that we're going to teach you within these educational spaces to continue this or take your work, your entrepreneurship, your agency, your advocacy to the next level, Facts. right? How can you be more innovative? Because young people are always looking for a way to be innovative, right? More innovative so they can beat everybody else, right? So, like, I think technology can be just a powerful tool because it's, it's, it's always growing and it's growing so quickly that, like, like with MySpace, everybody wants to have the stars when you click on, the, on your page. Right. The stars are coming up or you have the music popping up. Yeah. yeah but, and if you didn't have that, you weren't, you weren't popping, yeah. right? And you had to do the thing. And then you had to make it. Like, right. literally, we had, like, 11-year-olds literally, like, going, going back door and then you also, and learning these things, then right. you have these same young people who then, who, who developed the skill set after, after a while, go going, going to teach their homies yep. how to do it, yep. or creating these businesses around it. And I think that we, you know, education is just, it's this, yo, with the whole NIP joint, like the entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. community engagement, um, I, uh, identity construction yeah. piece is so valuable. And I think that's something that curriculum needs writ large, but certainly curriculum around technology and education. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys remember pop-up videos? Yes. Well, like you watch the video and then a little thing would pop up and describe it. So I think you need to do that for Nipsey Hussle. Let's do like a little quick pop-up bubble that tells us who that is. Definitely. So you got to, you, but it's audio. So you got to describe, you got to so, picture this. Quick, this is our sidebar right here. Throw it in there? Yeah. So Nipsey Hussle um, was a rapper who was senselessly murdered um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he was born in South Central Los Angeles in Crenshaw. He grew up from, in poverty and became a multimillionaire, but not just a multimillionaire by being a rapper, but by being an entrepreneur. So he owned a clothing store. He owned a recording studio. He um, owned a, a barbershop. <laughs> um, so he, he, he had multiple businesses. He was really invested in technology. He created a STEM hub within his community. Um, and so he was a person who was well known for being a rapper and performer, but had an identity beyond that sort of outward facing persona that in many ways reflected teaching and learning. Um, and you know, his story is just heartbreaking in many ways, but also very inspiring. So I think I'm going to drop some links to, um, his story in the show notes so that people can learn more about him. Um, and I hope, I do hope that, uh, that he makes an appearance in, in, uh, your, your future talks. I, I will, uh, I will gladly show up for that. I wrote a blog about how teachers can carry on his legacy. I can share that with you. I would, I would love that. So you'll, you'll share that with me. I'll put it, I'll put it also in the, in the show notes. So, this is actually a perfect spot for us to take a little break. We're going to come back in a second. All right, we'll do you guys hold that thought. I hope you're enjoying the show. I have a favor to ask every one of No Such Things listeners. Facebook.com slash No Such Thing podcast. I need your ideas, opinions, feedback. I need to know who's listening. There is a listener survey at the top of the page. Click on it. I promise you it'll take less than three minutes. If you're a fan and you want to support these conversations, please like, rate, review the podcast wherever you downloaded. You can find all episodes at nosuchthingpodcast.org. I wonder, I mean, for me, I feel like the, one, of the, one of the mistakes we've made over time is, is the way we've kind of uh, characterized domains of knowledge um, and humanize them in ways and and narrated them in ways that are exclusive. Right. And you, you said something earlier, Chris, where you were like, I I think we might be taking a step back um, before we make some leaps forward. And this, the step back in my mind is that I don't, I don't think we've done enough um, to, to break computer science for one, right. That's just one domain we're talking about. Um, 
out of a narrative that is uh, is problematic for for all citizens. One, um, but but more specifically, I wonder how you guys feel about what that holds back in terms of how young people of color can connect their identity to that domain. That's such a layered question. I, I just have to say one thing first, though. Like, yeah, you used, the, you used the phrase "step back," and like, so when you said that in my head right away, <laughs> I just thought of James Harden, right? <laughs> and and I know it's a really important thing, right? Look, like, if you look at yeah. James James Harden, maybe you could throw a little link for this. I don't know, right? <laughs> but James James Harden's his his basketball game has evolved, and over the last year, he's worked on this aspect of his shot, which really is it's a when he's being defended really tightly. What, what, what basketball players traditionally would do is try to do a crossover. Mm-hmm. They try to faint in one direction and go in another to get past a defender. And I think yep. kids do this off a lot, right? We, we have a goal of getting kids to be engaged in computer science. So what we do is like, we'll say, it meets these standards, boom, and then and try, to, and try to get past the defender. And it, it requires a lot of dexterity to be able to have a goal in mind and sort of cross over the folks who are defending you from meeting your goal. Now, the, the step back is a, a very, is a se- seemingly moving in the opposite direction towards the hoop, right? The step back, the hoop, you're right there, defender's on you, stopping you. You want to cross over, it's challenging. They're still blocking you. The step back says move away from the direction of your initial goal. Yeah. Step all the way back and create space. Once you've created space, if you're a good jump shooter, you can hit your shot. And so I just really, I want to I tease that, that, that that analogy that you described with the step back, mm. I think it's it's not just a step back and like move away from. It's move away from for the sake of creating space so you can have a larger vision to hit your shot. Yeah. You know, I think when we, especially when it's a new initiative, right? It's a mayoral initiative, and oftentimes everybody gets so excited, right? Well, especially around this equity work in, in the city. Oh, it's so excited! We're going to these these trainings and yada yada yada, but. We, sometimes we get so consumed and so excited that we don't know what this looks like because we're so in it, right? Yeah. So often it's right. We have to take a step back to see where we are to assess and figure out where we need to go, right? But I think also when we talk about CS for All and technology, what, like we talk, we, we, what is the goal for students, right? And I always come back to this because I think, and I, I wrote about this in my dissertation around STEM and I want to increase um, engagement in STEM, which is dope, right? Because I want my young people to, be, to go on and, and be in the, in the STEM fields, yada, yada, yada. But young people don't see that. They don't see themselves in those fields. But also those fields, are, are, the, are those fields ready for people of color, mm. right? It, I think we're doing, we do a big disservice for young people when we're saying, all right, learn coding, right? And go work for, go work for a, a company mm. where you're going to code, but are you going to be comfortable? Are you going to be your full self? Are you going to be fully actualized within this job? So are we preparing the, our young people to like gain these skills, to enter these fields where they're going to be miserable and not allowed to be their authentic selves? Right, so we're—it's a continuous—it's a continuous disservice that's similar to schools, and that's the agency are. thing. Because right? right. I think, like you know, it's you develop the skill set, and and I would even argue that sometimes technology is more welcoming. Like if you got the skills, they hire you. Yeah. But even so, like it's about—I might teach you these skills to be a worker, mm-hmm. or I might teach you the schools to be an entrepreneur. entrepreneur right. Right. Or and and entrepreneurship is not about starting a business. Entrepreneurship is about a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's a mindset where you say, "I can produce something that has." That, can, that I can offer the world, that can allow me to be able to engage in multiple ways. And I think, you know, that, that idea of like, you, you creating STEM workers, right, right, or STEM bosses, right. And in the world, there's always bosses and workers. And you could be a boss and work with someone, right? Or you could be a, or you could be a, um, a worker and just be a worker for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? So mm. I think it's, it's that, that piece of it. And I also think there's a strand where it's like, yo, and this is gonna sound odd, but I can develop a computer science sensibility without having access to a computer. You know, I can develop technological skill sets on my phone mm-hmm. that I can now then apply across settings, including on a computer or whatever else it is, right? Like, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a certain philosophy around science in any science or computer science or even engineering. We talk about STEM all the time. No one talks about engineering. I think yeah. then there's a piece of, there's a computer science sensibility um, and a certain sort of criticality that's invoked. This idea of like, I am going to be able to work with numbers. I can always be ready for when a problem arises, knowing that there's always a workaround. I can always be collaborative in having conversations with a team so we can work and play to our skill sets. I can always, you know, get something that's imperfect and then work on it to not just make it 
to some version of perfect, but I can always enhance it. Yeah. You know, I can always take a tool that's been given to me and hack that and reimagine what it could be. So I think that's a computer science philosophy um, that it really aligns to an engineering philosophy mm-hmm. that we don't consider when we're teaching kids to be like, use technology. Like, you know, I've walked into classes in, in, a, in a DOE where people, you know, principals be like, Dr. E, come see the amazing work we're doing. Like, and, and then like, you know, the kids all have computers out and they're fucking typing. Excuse me, you know what I mean? like, and I'm like, bro, this is not it. Like, yeah, this is not, not computer science. This is not technology. Like, that is pressing a button. Yeah. That is more rudimentary than, you know, like ABCs. Like, you're teaching 11th graders to do ABCs. I'm supposed to be impressed. And I think it's because of the absence of the recognition, absence of a knowledge around yeah. the mindset around engaging in this kind of work um, that I think is missing, but I think that we can work on. Yeah. I think the beauty, too, is the skill set that young people gain from being more science-minded. You talk about the science-mindedness. science-mindedness right? Yes, sir. And it's just like, the, the, you know, the, you, don't, you don't stop until you reach a, a conclusion or until you get an answer that, that, you, that you're happy with. Or the idea is that like, just being more resilient, right? Like engage, like, as a, I was a genetics um, researcher and I would engage in one experiment in college and it took me three weeks mm-hmm. to engage in that one experiment. But that made me always want to go back and go back. And you know what I mean? I probably got like three positive results. And I like three years of, of research, but it's just like the, 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 the idea of like, okay, if I do this, I might get it right. Right. But just the resilience that you gain, I think young people, like if there's no end, what's the point of being resilient to, to doing anything, right? I'm just going to like, I, I'll either try to do it and I, and I kind of might, might bullshit my way, oh, pardon me, to get through it, or I'm going to be really critical about what I'm doing and be very rational and thoughtful about reaching some type of conclusion. Yo, I just got the, I just got the title for my talk what, next week? For, for the CS4 joint. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to share it. Just kidding me. I just got it. Yeah. I'm taking credit. <laughs> this show. Totally the spark. Um, so so just to, to wrap that point that you two are making, put, put it into advice for um, computer science and STEM educators, right? If, if from, from what's the advice to them that gets... Um, gets past some of the the problems of um, kind of I- isolation of domain and and representation within those domains. Um, if there was one thing you could invite them to do in this moment, what is it? Man, there's a bunch. We could just go back and forth. Yeah. I know that we both got mad suggestions. I know for me, for me, I keep talking about the goal, right? What's the end goal? So for me, it's like, what's what is the end goal, and how are you going to? share that with young people, right? Or how do you get young people to tell you what they want their goal to be around this work, right? So what, what are we going to be able to do at the end of this segment or this learning experience that's going to benefit me as a young person or as a young person, what do I want to learn, mm-hmm. right? Because I think when you position it and you position the students at the center, they're obviously going to be more engaged and they're going to see something that, that's going to be a personal benefit to them. And that's going to make them want to do more and go further. And then ultimately also, I recommend, they're going to push the teacher further, right? Because the, the curriculum is not built for the student, the goals of the students. And that's going to really encourage the teacher to go out and kind of like revise or modify whatever to meet the goals of that, of that student. How often are we talking to students about what do you want to gain from this experience? Or we're just going to give you this experience and expect you to grow from it and utilize it. There's so right? much here. Cause like now as I'm hearing you talk, Ed, I'm just thinking about um, this idea of, you know, learn with. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's going to, that, I mean, my big thing for, for educators is that, cause listen, we, we, we can't teach computer science for all because we ain't got enough computer science educators, <laughs> so, right? And the few that we... We don't have enough computers. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> that too. Everybody take your cell phone. Yeah, right, right. And, 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 and then a few that we have may be thinking of it only as a subject area or as a domain of study. And I think, you know, if we can invoke uh, 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 an approach to this for everyone, that it's like we're all going to learn this thing together or we're going to, you know, we're, we're all going to learn you know, how to utilize these tools or these platforms together. So that's another thing I would say, like shift your thinking around it to be less of what am I going to teach, but what am I going to learn with my, with my, with my kids? Um, I think another one is just like, you know, this idea of like representation mm-hmm. and, and authenticity, it has to be the anchor of the work that we do. So if you're a computer science educator or another teacher who happens to be working in this domain and you're not familiar with the subject area, you know, don't limit it to what you know. Be, be willing to be, you know, be honest and about what you don't know. And, mm-hmm. um, and also like, you know, think, you know, it's not a tool, you know, c- c- hip hop, like the, I love the analogy you made in the beginning 
and I'm going to use this, but I'll credit you, you know, comparing hip hop to the internet. It's the same joint, fam. It, it's not a thing, <laughs> right? It's a tool for unlocking a, a universe. Yeah. Um, and so teaching educators to recognize that, you, you, you know, all you have are keys to unlock different worlds. So think about it that way more than thinking about it as a um, as a as as the end goal, right? Um, and then you know, and I'm, I'm maybe giving this away, but you know, it's like yo, the 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 beauty of computer science is the is the is the art of the hack. You know what I mean? Like you know, you you know, like, like my talk, my talk, I'm giving I'm giving it away. Like my talk is like you know, hack the system, yo. Mm-hmm. And if you if you reimagine all this through the lens of of hacking, right? Repurposing, reimagining. Uh, exploring differently, yeah. utilizing it for the initial tool, but being willing to be able to see, you know, I think hacking is remixing in hip hop, yes. right? It's the art of the remix. How do you take what you've been given with and then hack it, remix it to reimagine something that is a completely different iteration of the original, but more complex and more nuanced or more simple. Yeah. Um, but, but each is necessary each, you know, for, for where you are in the moment. Yeah. Do you guys think though, do you, can I, uh, is it, you think it's a bridge too far to say that the th- the same thing that makes our learning institutions bad at hip hop ed is the same thing that potentially continues to make us bad at uh, at CS ed, STEM ed. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but the, you know the the only exception. I, mean, I was and and what I mean what I mean by that is is that the the sort of mashup mentality, the the hacking remixing. Um, uh, collaborative, cooperative. Yeah. These are not things that we have bred into the institution mm-hmm. in a way that uh, where it's accepted. Uh, if you look at what what scares most teachers about hip hop, and and you draw some lines to the things that scare teachers about the internet and technology and sort of the hacker identity, um, I feel like there's a, there's a whole dissertation we could do in that. Absolutely, no, for sure. No, no, I agree. I, I, I agree. I think, I, and you know, it's so funny too because when I think about um, social media in particular, I think about you know the first folks on every major social media platform were young folks of color in the hood and a bunch of rappers. Like Twitter was Ashton Kutcher and rappers, like for mm-hmm. years. For a long time. You know, it's like, yeah. and, and I think it's it's that innovative spirit um of, of technology and of hip hop and that that we that we don't have in schools. Yeah. Another commonality between hip hop and, and CS for all is that in technology at least is that I always talk about hip hop being the voice for all all those who identify as margin as part of the marginalized groups, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because no matter who you are, if you hip hop as a social justice movement in the form of, of, of social justice has always privileged the voice of those who have been pushing the marginal society. Facts. And with technology or CS for all, right, you don't have to have a computer, right? I, I think most of our students have cell phones. Most of the people in our communities have at least this one tool that they can utilize to have to share their voice. Yeah. And this is what we talk about, like the Black Lives Matters movement, all these movements that have grown popularity through technology, through yeah. technology and social media, right? Where we can see what the world, what the world truly is, mm. and and that's the that's another beauty of technology, right? That's one of the, one of the most powerful things about it, right? I, maybe my experience in the Bronx is I'm thinking it's my only experience, but if I'm seeing other people across the country, I mean, look at hip hop ed. When we do hip hop ed, and again, hip hop ed is a whole other dimension yeah. of utilizing social media and technology. You know, we'll have we have educators. So a uh, shameless plug, but hip hop ed every Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on Twitter. Uh, we have this conversation about the intersections of hip hop and education, um, free online PD for anybody who wants to join the party. Um, but, but, but we, we have educators who are in like Oakland mm-hmm. and Toronto yep. and in Brooklyn. And they're saying, yo, our contexts are different, but our experiences within schools are the same. The same. Yep. And this, you know, the, the internet becomes this unifying tool to help us sort of reimagine what the next steps are and recognizing that we have allies in multiple domains. And I think that's another piece of this work we haven't even touched on yet, you know, is like, you know, how do we have an isolating pedagogy with a set of tools that have been the grand unifiers across the universe? Yeah. You know, you have, you have people listening to your podcast and where was that? In Lithuania? Lithu- Lithuania. Lithuania. <laughs> yeah, there's something about this platform and tool that allows that person in Lithuania to have a connection. And in an education um, system, where everything is hyper localized, um, then you're not making allowances for the sort of global nature of how we construct ideas and theories, um, and that's another inhibitor to getting young folks to sort of want to engage. 
This is this is park uh, another another parking lot item for a next conversation. But but you, you we in that last piece we use the word voice. Um, Ed, you, you used it a few times, and I think it's interesting. I, I wonder how many educators, when they talk about, so a huge piece of computer science, obviously, are the languages, right? But I don't think we do enough connecting languages to voice. You know what I mean? And and that idea that uh, that you know this is the ends, yep. um, right? So that's a thought, not a not a question, but. Uh, you, you, you were bringing that to me in that, in that, um, moment we have our work cut out for us both in the broader sense, but also in future conversations between, between us. And I can't tell you guys how excited I am to continue this. Hey, let me tell you this too, man. Yeah, please. We're doing this. I was like, man, we gotta go do a podcast, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I want to say like, I appreciate your thoughtfulness. Um, how how um, imaginative your questions are, and the care that you have for the work is evident in your enthusiasm for interrogating in the questions. And so while I may have come to this like, oh, what is this? I'm leaving it with like a really dope conversation, man, and feel like I've met a really good person. And so um, let's let's stay connected. I'm I'm uh, uh, that means a lot to me. I'm grateful for that. Um, before we, before we step away from this conversation as the first of, I hope many, um, what let's, let's plug hip hop ed, which by the way, this is not the first plug for hip hop ed on this show. Really? I, I, uh, have had previous shows where educators, uh, from Pittsburgh have plugged hip hop ed on Tuesday night. Um, so, so this is not, but let's, let's plug again. Uh, hip hop education, Ed. Anything, anything you want to um, put out there that people should check out, or, or you know, programs that you think need more, uh, more space in the airwaves that that you want to draw people's attention to. This won't be the last time uh, you can you can use this show to, to plug. But but yeah, bring it. Whatever whatever you want to connect people to. Go ahead. Um, I, you know, if I can start, just definitely check out hashtag Hip Hop Ed on Twitter. Um, also, uh, hip hop ed, hashtag hip hop ed is now on Instagram and on Facebook as well. So please check those out. Make sure you cop my book, for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too, uh, for more critical conversation about education. Um, check out the work of the amazing scholars we have on our team. You know, Edmund Adjapong's work, genius, at King Adjapong on Instagram. Um, Emil Cook, who was out in Pittsburgh, who does amazing work out of Pittsburgh. Also, um, educators in New York City Public Schools, man, um, Kiana Spellman. Yeah at Brooklyn Prep High School is brilliant, genius, and unsung hero for young people. Um, check out Science Genius, which is an initiative that we have where young folks are writing raps about science content and presenting. And then shout out to the conference yeah. on, on June 1st. Yeah, yeah, for sure. June 1st at Teachers College, Columbia University. We have a hip-hop ed conference. It's our third annual year. We have presenters, performers, artists, uh, young people, uh, celebrities, and common folk all gathering. Um, to have, you know, really critical, powerful conversations about the intersections of hip hop, social justice yeah. and education. Yeah, for sure. This is this is we're recording this in 2019. So so June, you said June 1st this yeah, year, June 1st, 2019 June 1st. Yeah. at Teachers College, Columbia University. It'll be starting around Start 9, 30, 10 o'clock. But people can always go to register at hiphopet.com. Yep. Hiphopet.com slash conference. Yeah. Hey, go ahead. Anything you want to you want to add? You did it all, man. I, last, <laughs> I was probably just want to also shout out. Tara Ware. Tara Ware, yes. Amazing educator in the Bronx. And just, we just have such an amazing, beautiful hip-hop ed community. Folks out in Toronto, Pittsburgh, Oakland, all across the world. And, you know, we're, we couldn't do this work without them. Yo, I ain't shout out Ian. Right? You know Ian got a heart attack. Yo, <laughs> shout out to my man's, <laughs> shout out to my man's Ian P. Levy. He's a professor <laughs> at Manhattan College, um, graduate of Teachers College as well. And Tim. And, and Tim Jones, please, at Tim Jones, the DC. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our hip-hop ed community is so varied, but, yeah. you know, Everybody's doing amazing work. Yeah, like yeah. the work that we're doing with with Ian right now, um, and with Kiana about bringing recording studios to high schools yep. and middle schools in New York City. You know how that's STEM education. The kids are literally building their own recording studios. Um, that's technology. That's engineering. It's science, and then utilizing that to learn. Yeah. So look, follow a hashtag Hip Hop Ed on all the all all your stuff. 
and uh, you'll be privy to all the work that we're doing. I like. I, I aspire to make the end of my show feel like the end of Stretch and Bobito. <laughs> yeah, where it's like I love Stretch. <laughs> just like, oh man. Um. So here was my idea, Ed. We talked about um, beats they wouldn't let you play on the table in eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you play us out? Can oh, play, you got to do the grinding joint. Oh, man. Somebody, 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 somebody about my favorite song, <laughs> my favorite rap song. like, can you rap lyrics? I'm like, yeah, after the, after the talk. Um, the grinding beat. Oh, I feel like freestyle, son. <laughs> yo, yo, check what I said. Freestyle, man. Yo. Fellas. Yeah, man, you're dope too, um, man. Yeah, man, I appreciate you. Thank yeah. you guys so much. We'll talk again soon. Bye, Mark. Peace, take care. For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter, at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No such thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org.